You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Judges chapter 12, verse 8 is what we're going to look at today. A few short verses here. On your way there, I've got a picture from Kaylee. Kaylee's not here today, is she? Larry's, okay, tell Kaylee you, her picture was here, okay? Kaylee drew this last week. She's drawn a couple weeks now. I finally got hers up here. This is, let me interpret, this is Kaylee saying there's a mansion here. If you can see on the top, there's a mansion. I think those are a bunch of windows, but in the middle, how do we get to that mansion? How do we get to the place of God? How do we get to His presence through the cross and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus? So tell Kaylee, convey our thanks to her and all you kids that are drawing. And if I'm in a, you're doing great. If I'm in a conversation with an adult afterwards, just slip, just come and just nudge my hand and I'll grab it. Just put your name on it. That helps. And, uh, but anyway, it's great. You, the kids can track along here with this. So we'll see what you come up with and what you draw today. So hopefully by now you found Judges chapter 12, and we're just going to look at verses 8 through 15. The last section of chapter 12 here in the book of Judges. Here's God's word to us. After him, let me, who's the him? Jephthah, okay. Verse 8, after him, Ibsan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters he gave in marriage outside his clan. And 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibsan, Ibsan died and was buried at Bethlehem. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. Then Elon, the Zebulonite, died and was buried at Eichelon in the land of Zebulon. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirathonite, died and was buried at Pirathon in the land of Ephraim, in the hill country of the Amalekites. Let me pray once again as we look into God's word. Lord, we do thank you for this day. As Milt prayed about your mercies, Lord, so new every morning. Thank you for those. Your mercy has brought us once again to together as a body this morning. Thank you for each one that is here, for each heart. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the glorious truths of your word. Not just a book of of facts and knowledge, but a book that, that brings us to your very presence. And Lord, may we today behold our God. Lord, may this not be just another Sunday and another sermon, even though we meet weekly to hear from you. Father, we just pray that you would work even through verses 8 through 15 of Judges chapter 12. We're going to trust your spirit to do that amongst us. We thank you because it is your word. Lead us by your spirit as we study it today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're like me as we come to this passage that I just read, you might find yourself scratching your head. I'm getting a bald spot back here, and I don't know if it's from scratching. I don't think it is from study, but you might find yourself at this passage going, Hmm, what's, what's, in, what's here? What's going on? Is, maybe we're asking, is there more to the story? 
maybe pleading with the author just a bit, could we get a little more detail? We've got, there's some, there's, there's more than there could be, but could we get a bit more? Or maybe let's just move to easier ground. Samson's just on the next page, and we know we've heard of Samson, and there's more detail about Samson. But nonetheless, we're going to look at these verses because here's the basis. If we believe, and we do, that every word is given by God for our instruction and teaching, then we recognize, as hard as it may be to understand or what's going on, we recognize before us is God's word, these verses. That's what we have. That's, so that's the basis. We can ask, why is this here? What does it mean? How does it contribute even to the overall plan? But this is God's word before us. Today I want to do three things with this short passage. First, we're going to take a brief tour. It, it will be rather brief. A brief tour of just what are some details going on in here that we can at least try to pick up on and what's this and what's that. A few of those types of things. Then I want to look at, look at some things that um, pretty sure the text is not telling us. So just what, what we might be tempted to think it might be saying. And then lastly what it may be saying, what I think it, it is saying, what, we can, what can we glean from this section. So three areas, the first being just, let's just go through it again and hear of, hear of Ibsa and Elon and, and Abdon, these three guys, three judges. And our first one we come to is Ibzan. Look, look again, I'll just read his, his portion here. It's pretty long, got three verses. So, okay. After him, Ibsan of Bethlehem. So this is after Jephthah. So Jephthah's judge six years, interesting, Jephthah the Gilead, he died, he was buried. Now, okay, verse 8, then again, after him, Ibsan of Bethlehem judged Israel. He had 30 sons, 30 daughters. He gave in marriage outside his clan, and 30 daughters he brought in from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then Ibsan died and was buried at Bethlehem. And so we meet really our first judge here in this, in this portion, and as to the mention of Bethlehem here, our ears might perk up because we're familiar with Bethlehem, and we might say, look at this. Here is the city of David, the place of Messiah's birth. Here's where Jesus was born. Here's the Bethlehem. And Jewish tradition would say that's so. They would say, actually, Ibzan is another word or another name for Boaz. Remember Ruth, the Moabite, her her husband became her husband Boaz. So they're, they're looking at Ibzan as Boaz. So this is that Bethlehem. But I'm going to venture to say, as I learned too, I don't think this is that Bethlehem. Uh, I, you can't be sure. You know, we're not exactly sure here. But elsewhere in the same book of Judges, which helps you get some context, where else is Bethlehem mentioned? It's mentioned in other places. We're going to see it as we go forward, but it's always qualified with Bethlehem in Judah. That's the one, Messiah's birth, David, Ruth, Boaz. Bethlehem in Judah. It's, it's qualified as that. One place, Judges 17.7, we find it. In fact, any time it's mentioned in Judges, Bethlehem, it's mentioned Bethlehem in Judah, just not in this place. So we're left with another Bethlehem. Uh, Joshua 19.15, we find that other Bethlehem. It's mentioned there as part of the inheritance of Zebulun. Zebulun, that's where this Bethlehem is. Uh, one writer says this, along with others, 
says the likelihood is that this Bethlehem was the town in western Zebulun, about 10 miles north of Megiddo. I'm going to have Caleb put up the map here, and you can leave it up while we talk through these three judges. But Now, I noticed uh, the ESV map actually does have Ibsen down here. So, you can, so there's give and take. Could it be that? Maybe. But we're saying, I'm thinking he's up here, let's see, somewhere up here and over here uh, in the territory of Zebulun. This, here's Megiddo, so 10 miles, maybe somewhere in that area of that Bethlehem, just to give you some geography there. So most likely from there, you can have fun look, looking that up, try to figure it out. What's interesting, it is interesting because the next judge, Elon, is from Zebulun. And so that also, I think, can maybe tie it together. But before we get on to Elon... There's one other detail here of, of Ibsen, and it's his offspring. It's his sons and daughters. You saw through there, he has a lot of children. God said, be fruitful and multiply. He did. There's a lot. You can imagine the size of his van going there. So we might ask, could it be, did Ibsen, maybe if we look into that a little bit, did Ibsen have multiple wives? I'm thinking he did. I mean, if you just think in the numbers, 60 children, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot for one, one wife to have 60 children. So that could be, it's just the text doesn't say, we're just left kind of, uh, I, I don't know, maybe. Another question, were, how about the wives? How about these wives for his sons? Were they foreigners since he got, you see how he, he brought daughters in from the outside for his sons? So maybe in a short passage like this, we're going, okay, here it is. Here's, here's what's wrong. He brought in people from the outside. However, I mean, it could mean that, but other writers see this as just, they, they mean like the ESV says, he just brought in daughters from another clan. Maybe there wasn't anything wrong with what he was doing. It may just be they, they came in from somewhere else. So the details are, they're lacking for us at least lacking for just a definite, here it is, or here's the issue, it's this Bethlehem, or it's, it's these sons, and here's what's going on. And we seem to, as we, as we study this, we're not, we're not too far, and we're going, well, it's, it's not that, and it's not that. And that's maybe good, we're figuring out things. It's not. There is something, though, interesting here that ties back to Jephthah, and I'll just throw this in here as one last thing about Ibsen before we look at Elon. Barry Webb points this out. I think there's others, but he points out this connection where we just were. Remember Jephthah? Remember how many daughters Jephthah had? He had one. Here's what Barry, uh, Barry Webb says. Of all the judges, daughters are mentioned only in connection with Jephthah and Ibzan. And the contrast between them serves to underscore the tragic barrenness suffered by Jephthah in consequence of his vow. Jephthah's daughter, and we took it as he sacrificed his daughter, and so there is no offspring. And the contrast comes right after Ibsan, 30 sons, 30 daughters, and so forth. Again, it, it may drive home this contrast. And yet again, it, it's just challenging to say, okay, th- this is why the offspring are listed here. That's Ibsan. Then we get to Elon. Less detail. Here's Elon. Look at verse 11 and 12. After him, Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. Then Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried at Ihalan in the land of Zebulon. 
So after Ibzan, you've got Elon. And in what could be, as we looked at uh, Ibzan, a connection here of Zebulun, maybe in the north, again, up, up in the northern area there, kind of west of the Sea of Galilee. But we've got nothing else. Nothing except some repetition. Do you see it? He, what did he do? He judged Israel for 10 years. Then he died. And then he was buried. We're going to hold on to those details for now. Let's look at one other judge. The last one, Abdon, in this list. Anyways, verses 13 through 15. After him, Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, judged Israel. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode on 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pirithonite, died and was buried at Pirithon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. So now we're going further south, and I think you can see him just kind of a little bit there. Here's Abdon, Pirithon, maybe in this area, close somewhere to Shechem. You've heard, we've talked about Mount Ebal and Gerizim before. I think we can surmise, as others bring out, 40 uh, children, 30 grandchildren, 70 donkeys. Seems like Abdon was, he was well-to-do. One place talks about the prestige of these types of things, having this. So he was a well, maybe a well-to-do type of judge. Both Ibzon and Abdon, both are greatly, they're fruitful in their offspring. They've got many sons. And here he's got grandsons and he's got donkeys for everybody. If you 40 plus 30, he's got, you know, it's like, you got a four-wheeler for every kid. You know, it's, it's donkeys all around. They're ready for eat everybody. And that's about it. Like, great, Mike, we're out of here early. You know, end of sermon. It's, it's, oh. That's what we have. We've just got some geographic locations, judges, judges with rather large families, and, and yet one in the middle, no families mentioned. So that's the text. Now, maybe... Maybe if we pick out the right words, we, we, we can make this, this is what maybe the text is not saying, but we can make this passage say a lot of things that maybe we wanted to. Maybe this passage, as we look back, this is a passage that, that is for the subject of dating and marriage. Maybe this is on dating. This is how to find the right girl or guy. You need to go outside. So we'll camp on the word outside, and you need to go outside your family. Well, that's a good idea, but outside your clan. And then find them, and and uh, and then that that's or, or maybe maybe look outside yourself, and we'll just get into just look outside yourself. That's what this maybe it's teaching that. Maybe it's a passage on on leadership. If you add up the leadership of these guys, there's it's um, seven, and then ten, and then eight. So the average is eight point three years. So you could say this is a passage. Maybe it's teaching a new leadership technique. We'll just be creative. And I could write a book on, on leadership from this passage and say if you're going to be in leadership 8.3 years, you should probably be thinking you know, about going. Like stay for that long. That's what a good leader should do. And then, no. I, we're having fun with some of this. And the temptation is to just, it's, it's there to just pick things out of the text and focus on those Sort of thing. Maybe, maybe we don't understand the text. Maybe we want it to say something else. Or we have a topic that we want it to talk about, and then we go there. 
and it's just way too tempting. Maybe we wanted to talk about marriage or dating or leadership or, or how each of your children need donkeys. It's just all this kind of stuff. But the goal, the goal of, I'm going to use a big word, hermeneutics, or the goal of how we study the Bible is to try to understand, and I've got to be pulled back to this often. I need this to understand what did the author intend to say? What did he mean to say? Not, it's not what we want him to say. What did he mean to say here? And, and I'll just admit, I'm, if you're finding it challenging, it is, it's terribly challenging. It's, what do we do here? I think, there's, I think there's something, but it's challenging. So there's not a lot to go on, but let, let me what, make an attempt. What I believe are some takeaways from this section. Some are more like, okay, here, this is, and some are, I think they're helpful, and I, I think they're grounded in, in a good basis here. Hopefully you'll find these anchored to the, to the text as well. I've got about four of, I've got four of them here. Some takeaways from these verses. First, the first takeaway is these verses point to the transgression in the land. They point to sin in the land. Where do I get that from? Here's Matthew Henry. Right? Old dead guys are good to learn from. Matthew Henry, long time ago. He sees the shortness of their reigns. I said seven, ten, eight was the last one, right? Uh, yeah, eight years. He sees that as, as an indicator of a land in transgression. Now, he gets that. Listen to Proverbs 28.2. Proverbs 28.2 says this, When a land transgresses, it has many rulers. But with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will long continue. So Henry sees here and he says this, quote, Good men, like these judges, being removed in the beginning of their usefulness and by the time that they have applied themselves to their business. He sees them cut short or a shortened, shortened rule. And I think you can maybe see his point here. The reign was not all that long. Elon, who had no children, he had the longest at 10, but you, if you compare it, the reign of David was 40 years. The reign of Solomon was, was 40 years as well. So maybe it points to sin in the land. Now, there's another kind of also what else points to transgression in the land, and it's this. The, the addition of Ibzon, Elon, Abdon, along with Samson, are going to make a total of 12 judges. 12 judges. I think the number's significant. One author says on the basis of 12, he's, he's saying it indicts all of Israel in their apostasy or their sin. Here's, here's how Kenneth Way puts it. He says the literary quota of 12 is likely intended as an indictment against all Israel. So we know the judges are in different lands, but 12 is saying it's for all Israel. He says indictment against all Israel so that no Israelite tribe is exempted from the growing trend of covenant rebellion or Canaanization, from the, Canaanite, the Canaanization which characterizes the period. Apostasy was a corporate offense and every Israelite man and woman holds a stake in the responsibility. I think there's something to this. Perhaps the shortened years of the judges and along with these judges making up a total of 12 judges serves to indict the people of Israel once again to their great sins and it indicts all the people. 
So, points to the transgression in the land. Number two, we can say, is we can say with anywhere in Scripture, it fulfills God's plan in redemptive history. Just to take a step back from the, the specifics and look at every word is part of fulfilling God's plan of redemptive history. So, you take Ibsen, Elon, Abdom out. You don't get Samson, however the chronologi- chronologically, uh, chronology there works. Then you get to Samuel, and then you get to David, and then you get to, you know, eventually Messiah. What I'm not saying is that these judges are part of the genealogy of Jesus. So, you know, they're part of Jesus' line. Unless maybe, maybe Ibsen is Boaz, perhaps. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is in each one, God is caring for, and He's preserving, and He's guiding His people till ultimately that offspring that was promised to Abraham comes in the Galatians 4 in the fulfillment of time. Even these three are part of that redemptive history story of God preserving. At least for these, uh, what is it, 25 years, God is preserving His people because there's a seed of the woman coming later in Messiah. So you can say at least it's fulfilling God's plan for redemptive history. Number three, another takeaway. It shows that God continues a major work amongst what appears to be minor judges. God does a major work in what we see as just minor judges, not much detail, not much to their story, so we think. That's because that's, we just have very little. But I remain convinced these judges, the data sparse, we're, again, we're aching for more information. They too, as we said, they're part of God's gracious, preserving, delivering, saving of His people. And where do I get that? It's from, again, we go back to Judges 2. If you just turn back there really quick, Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Look at this again. I think this gives us a template for the judges that we don't have much information from. So look at Judges 2, 16 in particular, and I'll read through 18 here. So whenever Israel's in distress, God raises up judges. Same word. Same judges here that God's going to raise up are the same judges we're reading about in 12, 8 through 15. So let's take a minute. Let's, let's read what God was doing, even though we've got absent details in our section. So verse 16, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Verse 18, Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. And He saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. I think one of the clearest things we can say in this passage is that God, though in our passage He's not mentioned by name, and maybe some would take, and you know, maybe it's debatable, some would take that as He's not mentioned, so He's not raising up judges. I I just I lean towards I think He is here. He's doing this work. He God is continuing to deliver and save His people. Even though they're kind of just these lesser-known judges. Uh, we know, we recognize, na- I mean, household names maybe if you think of judges, Gideon, 
maybe Jephthah, Samson that we're going to get to, but not, not Ibsan. I mean, you just don't have dinner conversations about Ibsan and Elon and Abdul. And maybe you will today, but we don't. But it's interesting in Scripture because we see this elsewhere. There's a pattern of this. Think of the tribes of Israel, all the tribes of Israel. Do they get equal airtime in the Scriptures? And they don't. Um, I, I looked at one. I think I looked at others. I'll just give you one. Here's one. You know, let's go with airtime. Who's mentioned more, Zebulun or Judah? You might be, even be able to answer that question. Zebulun or Judah? Zebulun, at least just where the name comes up, in the Scriptures, they're mentioned 48 times. Judah, tribe of Judah, wherever it says Judah, you know, I just typed in search, Judah, 846 times. So you've got Zebulun 48 times, some of that from here, and you've got Judah 846 times. Not every tribe gets equal airtime. Not every disciple, if you move towards the New Testament, gets equal airtime. There's differences. Uh, Simon Peter, he's mentioned in Scripture some and just rough, rough, I think 156 times we see Simon Peter mentioned. And Peter's, I think he's behind the writing of the book of Mark, and he's got his own epistles that he wrote. But then you've also got James, son of Elpheus. James, son of Elpheus, he's mentioned four times. Peter gets way more airtime than James, son of Elpheus. Or think about John, the brother of James. Milt read from the book of John. John's mentioned 35 times his name. He writes a gospel. He's got three epistles. And he writes Revelation, too. He's all over the place. And then you've got Bartholomew. Four times. John gets their time, not so much for Bartholomew. Are they all disciples? They're all disciples of Christ. As we think, look back in Judges, here's something that Dale Davis speaks to and maybe was part of getting me thinking on this line. He talks about the greater purpose here and maybe will help us get a right perspective on some of these, these passages or where we're wanting more information. He says, of, of this even. The, he says the Bible is saying that its focus is not on man's life, but on God's action. The Bible's focus is not so much or not on man's life, but on God's action. He says the Bible is theocentric, God-centric. He says that does not mean that man does not count, but that man is not the center. And then he lays out some dangers and I need to hear some, some dangers of simply just focusing on the characters of the Bible. Look at this character. You know, for, we can look at how people lived in character studies, but he says the danger of looking at we lose sight of the God who saves when we just look at, at people and man in the Bible, like a study of just, of just men. Yikes. And so he says, And if a little frustration over Ibzon and Associates makes us aware of this danger, they will not have lived in vain. And I think there's a reminder here, even for us, on how we might evaluate even our own lives and whose glory, whose name, whose honor we're after. Even for us, in our heart of hearts, we, perhaps we want much written about us at the end of life. We want a long string of 
successes in the Lord and he followed and he did this and he was involved in this way and that and these, these things that just say, man, what a guy, what a, what a lady he, she or he or she was. And we want that. But that's not where our boast is to be and we can want to be, may the Lord help us to be content to be minor. Listed, doing the work of God slowly, quietly, minor that, that people would see a major God. And that's what we want to see through here. God is at work, even though not even mentioned here. So God continues to deliver. But then let me give one more. Just I think the other, just the clearest takeaway from the text, and this will not be unfamiliar to you. You've probably you've heard this before, and that's okay. It'll just keep reinforcing the idea. The other takeaway are, are these repeated words. I kind of I kind of alluded to that earlier. These repeated words of judged, died, and buried. Every account, Ibsen, Elon, Abdon, they've all got them. It's all the same. They judged Israel, different periods, seven, ten, eight years. They judged Israel. What else does it say? All three of them died, and all three of them were buried. This is like, Judge, died, buried. I mean, if you shortened up this whole thing, Ibsen, Elon, Abdon, judge, died, and were buried. And I would propose again in redemptive history, these judges who died and were buried point to the great deliverer who was raised to life that we've been singing about and who will never die. We have a Savior who will never die. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. It's going to sound kind of like what we're reading in Judges to, to a certain point. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died, oh, we're familiar with that, for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, yep, sent, yep, been used to that with the Judges, and what does He say? That He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then Paul goes on to say later on in verses 21 and 22, For as by a man <clears throat> came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Ibzan and Elon and Abdon, they are sparse with details. And you might, we might call them the minor judges. They're the minors. But at least one of their purposes, I think, points to this greater judge and Savior and deliverer. He's a deliverer of all who face death and burial. And He's a deliverer because He's been raised from the dead and He will never die again. You realize that? Death no longer has dominion over our Savior, Jesus Christ. None. He's raised forever. He lives forever. We don't have to worry about our judge and our deliverer. What if he goes away? What if he fades? What if he dies? It's not our worry. He lives always. And he intercedes for us always. So two questions as we close this. One question is for you. 
what will you face when you, in fact, like Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon, unless the Lord should return, when you face death and burial? What will you face? For those apart from Christ who have loved sin more than Jesus, you will face eternal judgment. But for those sinners, if you turn to Christ, you face eternal peace and joy in the presence of the Lord forever. So the question, maybe for some of you, and for all of us, is really, have you put your trust in Jesus Christ to save you from sin that leads to death forever, eternal pain and punishment in hell? Have you trusted in Christ to save you from your sins and look to Him as your Lord and Savior? I don't know each one of you in your hearts and how you would answer that question. Maybe today, August 29th, is the day you say, I will trust in this one because without Jesus, I am lost. And you are lost and facing eternal judgment and pain. The second question, if Christ be your Savior then, what will be the story of your life? going to be the story written about you it's going to be your story or his his story i want you to listen to words from jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 through 24 if they sound familiar if you're on the two-year bible reading plan and you just look through first corinthians 1 they're going to sound familiar that's where some of first corinthians 1 comes from but i want to read them to you uh, in light of what we're studying and looking at. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah says, Let not the wise... Well, the Lord says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. May Jesus Christ be your boast. And may our lives and our actions and our words point to Christ. And so that we would echo those words of John the Baptist, some of my favorite words in the Scriptures, where he says of Jesus, he says, He must increase but I must decrease. May that be the story of your life, that Jesus is ever increasing in your own following, in your own love for the Savior, and in how you present yourself to the world and the nations that are either living around you or across the way. Let's pray together. Lord, again, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the scholars and commentaries, sometimes they get in the way. Sometimes they're helpful. We just thank You, Lord, for the gift of, of others to help us understand some of these things. And Lord, I pray this wouldn't be the last time that we contemplate Ibzan, Elon, and Abdon. And Lord, would You help us see once again give You glory for Your saving work of Jesus Christ who who died and was buried and rose on the third day. We worship You, Lord Jesus. 
We worship you because you're our risen Savior. Because you hold us. You keep us. You began a good work. You'll finish it. My prayer for anyone here in hearing my voice today that does not know you would bow before you, would humble themselves, confessing sins against Almighty God and then trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and your grace and your mercy, again that's new every morning, to cleanse by your shed blood and your resurrection, raised for our justification to be made righteous before you. Lord, may our, may our affections grow towards you. May you guide us as a body that we would not celebrate us or have things written about us as tempting as it is. Father, forgive us. May we look to you and only be about your glory. Do a work in us by your Spirit that would cause that. Spirit that its purpose is to bring glory to Christ. May we keep in step with that Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.